Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, and we'll read together from verse 1. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod, king, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the king was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people, Israel. <clears throat> then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there till I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all his districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who saw the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Achilles was reigning over Judah, over Judea, instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, 
he turned aside to the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. May God be pleased to um, bless um, that reading and um, you know, God's word to us. May we profit from it as we come you know, to consider it. Let's turn back to um, Matthew's Gospel and chapter 2. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. Now, what I'm going to say tonight is not new. I'm sure you've heard it you know, before. You've probably even heard it from me before. So um, it's nothing new. And if it's not, take it as a reminder. And I trust that God will bless us as we consider this passage um, together. Last week, we looked at the Lord Jesus Christ and his birth. This week, I want us to consider you know, the wise men and Herod. A very important uh, narrative there. And I think um, we've got a lot to learn you know, from the passage. Now, long before Jesus was born, it was known all over the Middle East that a king, a deliverer, was expected in Israel. They knew this because when the Israelites were scattered all over the place in Egypt, in, um, in um, Babylon, and all these places, you know, they carried with them you know, their, their books and so on, and all these predictions, and they talked about it you know, very, very, um, very freely. Again, Daniel chapter 9, verse um, 25 to 27, you know, tells us you know, about um, this prediction. And so it was well known in the, in the, in the East that um, the Jews were expecting you know, um, a king. When Jesus was born, Wise men from the east, that is from Arabia, places like Saudi Arabia and Iran, wise men, you know, came, you know, to visit the newborn king. These wise men were very educated astrologers. They were men who studied the stars and were diligent observers of the stars. They were very wealthy, and because they were wise, kings, you know, sought, you know, their advice. <clears throat> when Jesus was born, a special star appeared, and the wise men knew that it was not an ordinary star. They knew the king of the Jews has been born, for we read in verse 2, they said, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. It's a special star created by God to, walk, to, to alert the world that a savior has been born. The wise men set their hearts on seeing him who was born king of the Jews. And so they followed the star. They believed that the star would lead them to where this new king you know, was. Their aim was to worship the new king. Not to pay homage to him as God. They did not recognize Jesus as divine. But they came to honor him as king. Now the word worship in this text, in our passage, you know, means to prostrate oneself before another. Which was the way that homage was paid to earthly kings in those days. They wished to pay to the newborn king of the Jews homage in the same way. 
The star led them to Jerusalem and then disappeared. And as soon as the wise men got to Jerusalem, they began to inquire from people, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They wanted to know where this king was. They wanted to know what city he was in. They wanted to know, you know, what, um, in what city, what village, you know, what house this uh, new king was, and so on. But Jesus was born in Bethlehem, not in Jerusalem. So why did the star guide them to Jerusalem? Well, it's very simple really, because when Jesus was born, his birth was announced to the shepherds in Bethlehem. And then the shepherds, you know, um, broadcast it all over Bethlehem and all the surrounding region. So a lot of places heard the news that the king of the Jews had been born, but not Bethlehem. So when the wise men, you know, went to Bethlehem, soon the whole of Bethlehem knew that um, the king of the Jews had been born. And so that's why, you know, the star, you know, led them to Bethlehem. And he got there and properly disappeared. It was not long before news got to Herod that some men were asking about where the new king of the Jews had been born. Now, when Herod, who was king of Judea at this time, when he heard the news, he was greatly troubled. His mind, you know, was disturbed. He was uneasy and he became very restless about that news. He saw the birth of the king of the Jews as a threat to his own kingship. He feared he might be removed, you know, from his position by the new king of the Jews. Herod had lived among the Jews for a long time. And he knew about the predictions that, you know, um, that says that you know, God will send um, a king you know, to them who will get rid of the Romans and so on. He will deliver them from the bondage of the Romans. And now the news that the king had arrived greatly agitated Herod. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about Herod. He was not a good man at all. He was not a good man at all. Herod was a cold, cruel, calculating, and very wicked man. He was a great schemer with a very dark and cruel streak in his character. He was a very hot-tempered man. He became king of Judea by killing all the elders of the house of David. He was a very deceitful, very jealous man who was insanely uh, suspicious of everyone around him. He was ruthless in the way he dealt with people that he felt you know, were his opponents. He would not tolerate any rival to his kingship. In the past, he had dealt ruthlessly with those whom he considered to be a threat to his position. For example, he killed his father-in-law, he killed his brother-in-law, he killed several of his wives, he killed one of his wife's grandfather, he killed Aristobulus, which is the high priest of Israel, he disinherited and he killed his firstborn son, another, another son of his, because he felt 
that um, his position was you know, threatened. And so Herod, not a nice man at all, when he heard that the uh, when he heard of the birth of the king of the Jews, how did he react? We've already said that he was troubled, he was agitated, he was restless. So what did he do? Well, he did not delay at all. You know, he called all the Jewish religious leaders together, the scribes, the Pharisees, the lawyers, you know, all the educated men who knew and interpreted the law. He called them together to find out about the new king. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born, and they told him that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, according to the prophet Micah, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. This was right on Herod's district, which even alarmed him more. Secondly, he then had a secret meeting with the wise men. He called them together you know, to a secret meeting because he did not want anyone to warn Mary and Joseph about the dangerous interest you know, he was taking in the, new, in, in the newborn um, child. He questioned the wise men and asked them precisely what time the star appeared. How long ago it was when they observed it. This was to find out the age of Jesus. Now, having got out of the wise men all that he could, he sent them away you know, to Bethlehem and he said to them, Go, go, and search carefully, search diligently, Leave no stone unturned. Make sure you find him. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may go and worship him. What a liar he was. All he wanted to do was to kill Jesus. He had no intention whatsoever of worshiping him. Destroying Jesus will remove the threat to his kingship. And this is what bothered him most. His king, you know, his kingship. The fear of losing his position, the fear of losing his kingship was what disturbed um, Herod most. <clears throat> well, the wise men did not find uh, Jesus in Jerusalem. And so they left Herod and um, went their way. And when they got into the country, the star which had gathered them appeared again. And they were very excited that the star had appeared. And the star, you know, led them to the house where Jesus was. Remember, they were going to see a king. But when they got there, it was not as they expected. There were no outward sign of royalty. No pump. No guards. No courtiers. Only some poor cottage. However, they were not um, you know, in any shape shaken by what they saw. They recognized and confessed the little child, Jesus, as the king of the Jews. They fell on their knees and they paid homage to him as king. Then they presented him with three kinds of gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those three um, gifts, they have them um, significance. But you will notice, it did not say that there were three wise men. Okay? It's amazing how people put two and two together and they get seven. It did not say that there were three wise men. Because they presented three kinds of gifts, people have concluded that there were three wise men. We don't know that. There could have been eight of them or six of them or whatever. It's just that they brought three different kinds of gifts. 
Well, the wise men, after um, presenting the Lord Jesus Christ with their gift, they concluded their mission. They had seen and they had worshipped the king of the Jews that was predicted long ago. And so they set out to return to their own country. But then God warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So they left another way. In the meantime, an angel of the Lord you know, warned them, Joseph, to take you know, the baby and his mother and to flee to Egypt because Herod was seeking the young child's life to destroy him. Joseph was to stay in Egypt until you know, God tells him to return. Now Herod waited for the wise men. Waited for a while. They didn't return. After a long time, when they didn't return, he felt that he had been badly treated. He felt humiliated. He felt they had betrayed him. They had made a mockery of him. His blood boiled over. We read in verse 16 that he was exceedingly angry because this um, wise man had betrayed him. He was filled with rage because his plans had been thwarted and the young king might escape his hands. And so what did he do? He sent soldiers to Bethlehem. And they killed every male child, two years old and under. He slaughtered thousands and thousands of children in the surrounding regions. These innocent, defenseless, helpless children who had done him no wrong. In killing the children, he had hoped that Jesus was bound to be killed as well, thereby eliminating you know, his rival. He's still concerned about his position. As I said earlier on, he will do anything whatsoever to maintain his position. Herod did not live long after that. Three or four months after he slaughtered the children, Herod suffered excruciatingly painful illness of which no one till this day knows the cause of it. The illness was known as Herod's evil. He suffered extreme misery of soul and body and despair in his last days. At one time, his pain was so severe he tried to commit suicide by stabbing himself. In the end, he died in Jericho. He died in Jericho, drowned in his, in, in his bath. He was killed. After Herod died, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Take the child and his mother and go back to the land of Israel. For those who you know, are seeking his life, they are dead. Again, Joseph obeyed God immediately and did as the angel commanded him. But when Joseph heard that Achilles, Herod's son, was reigning instead of him, he was as bad, if not worse, than Herod. Joseph decided, no, I'm not going that way. <clears throat> and so he went to live in Nazareth, where Jesus grew up and, become, and became known as Jesus of Nazareth. 
Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Why did Herod behave the way he did in slaughtering all those children? Why? What motivated him? What drove him you know, to do what he did? I suppose we've answered the question to some extent. May I suggest two things that drove him? And this find resonance you know, with you and I today. The things that you know, drove Herod is still the things that drive us today, the way we live our lives. And may I suggest to you, first of all, Herod was driven by insecurity. He was a very insecure man. He was king of Judea, and that position and, you know, gave him political power and access to a luxurious lifestyle. And that was what he wanted to preserve. He would do anything to protect his position and lifestyle. When he felt that his position was threatened by the new king of the Jews, he slaughtered thousands of children just to make sure that Jesus was killed. He was a very, very insecure man. But Herod was a very foolish man. You know, because you know, he slaughtered all those innocent children for nothing. The Lord Jesus Christ was not after his position. No, not at all. The Lord was not after any earthly kingdom. In John chapter 18 and verse 36, Jesus himself said it. My kingdom is not of this world. He wasn't after anybody's um, position. Jesus was born into this world not to become an earthly king, not to become a political leader. You will remember that after the feeding of the 5,000, they came and they wanted to make him, make him king by force, but he will have none of it. He will have none of it. He didn't come you know, for that at all. Instead, our Lord Jesus Christ came not to be king, but to deal with man's greatest problem, as we saw last week. A problem that threatens our eternal future. A problem, if not dealt with, will lead to eternal misery and ruin for the whole world. This is the problem of our sin. Herod killed all those children because he was insecure and paranoid. Like Herod, most people are insecure today. Take our politicians, for example. I think it's good to talk about our politicians. They are all insecure. I can, I, I can say that very clearly, that they are all insecure. They are like Herod, very, very insecure. They have power, they have position, and they enjoy a particular lifestyle. They will do anything to maintain that position and that lifestyle. Have you noticed that you only see politicians around you or come to your area when there's an election on? Apart from that, you never see them. So only when there's an election coming up that you see them and um, they begin to behave in a way that um, you know, tells you that you know, something is afoot. And even next year, we're told that there's an election, general election next year. And what's happened? Have you noticed? They're starting throwing goodies at us. You're talking about cutting interest rates. 
They're talking about cutting tax. They're talking about increasing benefits for those on benefits. And the Prime Minister has been heard to say that he will abolish the dreaded inheritance tax. For years, for almost 30 years, they've been trying to abolish that inheritance tax. He, they will not have it. Ah, election is coming. He says, oh, we want to try and abolish the inheritance tax. Why? Why all this? Why are they suddenly offering us these goodies? So we can vote for them and keep them in power and in their lifestyle. That's why. That's why. They will use dirty tricks. They will do anything at all you know, to get into power and to remain in power. They are no different from Herod. The principles are the same. The method might be different, but the principles are the same. Herod used force, while our politicians use bribery. They want to maintain their position. That's the key thing for them, and that's exactly what it was for Herod. In the end, it is the same thing, to stay in power because they are insecure. Many ordinary people are just like that today. Insecure. People that live for the things of this world, for money, for jobs, for homes, and so on, they will do anything possible to protect their situation. Their job, their house, are the things that control you know, their life. They are slaves to these things. And they will do anything to protect them. Those people at work are always looking over their shoulders in case someone is coming up the ranks that might take their position. They wouldn't take kindly to it at all. They become very, very insecure. What a terrible way to live. It's a dreadful way to live. No peace of mind. Always worrying about your situation. And they will stop at nothing to get rid of whatever threatens their position. Non-Christians are very much like that. Non-Christian will never, never be secure. It's not possible. What about those who are Christians? What about you? You who call yourself a Christian today. Are you secure? And if so, what is your security based on? That's a question you have to answer. What is your security based on? Well, I want to suggest to those of you that are Christians that you should not feel insecure. I speak exclusively now to those of you who are Christians. You should never, never feel insecure. I've got three reasons why you should never feel insecure. <clears throat> For a start, you are loved of God. If you're a Christian, you are loved and accepted by God himself. God loves you. God's love for you is everlasting God's love for you will never, never stop. You know the hymn which you're going to be singing later on. Love with an everlasting love. Led by grace, that love to know. It's an everlasting love that you know, God has you know, for you. 
And God's love for you is unconditional because it does not depend upon you or upon you know, what, you, uh, what you do. God has loved you from the foundation of the world and God will not change his mind about you, about his love for you. He will always, always love you. He will always love you. God's love for you is invincible. Nothing can touch it. Nothing can touch it. You may be weak. You may be poor. You might have little talent. You may not be good looking. But if you're a Christian, the creator of all things love you. No one will ever love you like God you know, does. This is what matters most. For this reason, you should feel secure. Your security should be in God himself. You are loved of God. What more could you want? What more could you want? Secondly, that security should be found in Christ. You know, everyone gets their identity, their sense of worth and value from something or somebody. We look to those things for our sense of value and we use them to define ourselves. For some, it's their achievement, their work, their career, their money, their talents, their family, their position in society. And when you meet them, they are always, you know, talking you know, about, um, you know, always talking about these things. That's what matters most, you know, to them. That's where, you know, they find, you know, their security. And if anything goes wrong with any of those things, that's it. You know, the identity and everything else, you know, it's, um, you know, goes down the drain. They build their happiness. They build their hopes on these things. And when things go wrong, they feel a sense of uselessness. People like that will do anything to keep their position, just like Herod, because they are insecure. But for the Christian, your identity, that which gives you significance and worth, should be built on not on anything else, but on God himself. This God that loves you. You're a child of God. Nothing can threaten that. You know, tell yourself, I am loved of God. God loves me. It's not what people think of you that matters. It's not even what you think about yourself that matters. But what God thinks of you, that's what matters. And he thinks that you have worth and that you are valued. You should feel secure. You should feel secure. Think about it. God has invested so much in you. Think about what he has done for you. What's he done for you? He left heaven. As I said last week, he came into this world for you. Yes, for you. He came into this world. He suffered much for you. He died the most agonizing death for you. Even now, Christ is praying for you as a Christian. 
He's interceding for you as a Christian. Hebrews 7.25 Not only that, he's preparing a place for you in heaven. I go to prepare a place for you. And when I prepare a place, I will come back and receive you unto myself. John chapter 14. Think about it. God, you know, Christ is doing these things for you. Preparing a place for you. Isn't that wonderful? He's praying for you, for your perseverance, so that, you know, you know, eventually, you know, God will lead you home. You will not fall by the wayside. A true Christian cannot lose their salvation. Why? Because God preserves him. And God will preserve you if you're a Christian. One day he will come back for you. And you'll live with him in heaven for all eternity. What a wonderful prospect that is. Listen to Psalm 16 and verse 3. Wonderful. I, I love, I love, you know, this text. And that's something that, you know, lifts you know, the soul of anyone up. It says, as for the saints who are on earth, they are the excellent ones in whom my soul delights. God says that his soul delights in you if you're a Christian tonight. You are the excellent ones. Not those who, you know, who human nobility are. No, no, no. The Christians are the excellent ones. They are the ones in whom his soul delights. If you're a Christian, if that doesn't make you shout hallelujah, nothing else will. Wonderful, wonderful thing. A Christian should never, never be insecure. God has promised that he will meet all of your needs. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. How can you be insecure? He will meet every single need of yours. Philippians 4.19 It says, every single need of yours, he says he will meet. Why, how can a Christian be, in, be insecure? You know, with a God like that, with that kind of situation, how can a child of God be insecure. No, you know, no, 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 that's not right at all. You cannot be insecure. God has put all the resources of heaven behind you. A Christian does not live for the things of this world, and so he is secure because he trusts in God. Our security must not be in our job, in our position that we hold. In our possession, and so now our security is found in Christ. To have Christ is to have everything. What a glorious life! Very quickly, um, time is gone. Um, thirdly, you should be secure because you are loved by your fellow Christians. Believe it or not, you are loved by your fellow Christians. And one of the proofs that we are Christian is that we love the brethren, according to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 10. Your brothers and sisters, they want the very best for you, and they look out for you. They pray for you. They care about you, and sometimes they help you practically when necessary. They love you. <coughs> what more could you want? Do you feel insecure? shouldn't. If you're a Christian, you should never, never feel insecure. If you're not a Christian, you are insecure. 
And nothing will make you secure until you come to Christ. And so, we shouldn't be like Herod. A very insecure man. We are secure in Christ. The second thing that drives Herod is the devil himself. The devil himself drove Herod to what he did. This, this is a more you know, serious and sinister reason behind Herod wanting to kill Jesus. Behind his scheme was the devil at work. Why do I say that? The devil wanted Jesus killed so that you know, Christ will not fulfill his mission and pay for the sins of his people. When the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ went about doing good and preaching of the kingdom of the, the, the gospel of the kingdom, the devil did everything to have him killed. That's through the scribes and the Pharisees. Everything he did, they plotted to kill him. Everything he did, they plotted to kill him. When he healed the man with the withered hand in the temple, they went out, they plotted how to kill him. They were always plotting, you know, how to kill him. The world is in a terrible mess because of sin. We need a savior, and Jesus is that savior. The devil knew that if Jesus were to be killed before going to the cross, nobody would be saved. That we will all perish in hell. And that was exactly what the devil wanted. And that's why we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. In their case it says, The God of this world, that is the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He keeps them from, you know, he keeps you know, non-Christians from seeing the true sinful, con their sinful condition before God. He also fights tooth and nail to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. That is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross that will save them. He keeps all that you know, you know, from them. They might know it you know, intellectually, but you know, in their hearts they don't know it. And the devil will do everything possible to keep them in darkness so that they don't get saved. That's exactly what he wants. Even when people are saved, the devil doesn't leave them alone. He hates Christ, and he hates Christ's disciples. He hates every true follower of Christ, and he will do everything possible to bring them down. We see this in the book of Acts. After Jesus rose and ascended into heaven, the devil went all out for the disciples. Some were killed and many were imprisoned. And the same today in different parts of the world. Christians have been killed. Christians have been slaughtered. Many Muslim countries in India, in Pakistan, and most places, Christians have been slaughtered. The devil will lie. He will cheat. He will do anything to discredit Christ and his followers. He hates them. He hates them. And all he wants is to bring them down. If you're a Christian, the devil hates you. I've said it to you before, and I'll say it again. The devil hates you. The devil is after you. The devil is after you. He's after your downfall. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. 
Be sober, you know, we read. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9 says, you know, resist him firm in your faith. It's the faith that overcomes the devil. It's our faith that overcomes the world. He's after us. And he will not rest. He's prying around. He's never in. A, he's restless. He never takes a break. It's after you all the time to bring you down. And so we're told to be sober, to be vigilant, to be on the lookout, you know, for for his schemes and for his devices. The devil knows that the lake of fire, that hell, is reserved for him, and he's determined to take as many people as possible with him into hell. The devil used Herod to try and get rid of Jesus. When that failed, he tried to derail Jesus' mission by trying to get him killed through the scribes and the Pharisees. Thankfully, his plans you know, didn't work out. His plan failed. When Jesus returned from Egypt, he lived and grew up in Nazareth. And from the age of 30 to 33 and a half, he went about you know, doing good, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, you know, calling men and women to repent and to believe on him. At the end of his ministry, he gave up himself willingly to be crucified on the cross for the sin of his people. He had accomplished everything necessary for the salvation of sinners. He fulfilled his mission and opened the way back to God for us. That way is still open. That way is still opened. And the Lord Jesus Christ invites you, even tonight, to come in through him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Now I'll give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Now, how long that door will remain open, we don't know. We don't know. That's why it's very important you know, that we come to Christ today, that we don't postpone it. Enter while you still have the time. You will need to repent of your sins. You need to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do that sincerely, God will forgive you for your sins. God will give you a new life. You will have joy in your heart and hope for the future. Will you come to Jesus? He is your only hope. May God help us, you know, to benefit from listening to his word. For a Christian, you should never, never be insecure. We have everything going. God is on your side. If you're a Christian, you never need you know, to you know, be insecure. May God bless his word to our hearts. Amen.